This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Primal Screen, a Triple R film criticism show and podcast. I'm your host, Paul Anthony Nelson, and joining me in the virtual studio are Sally Christie. Hello. And returning from the proverbial grave for her first appearance on the show since way back in February, almost a different world, we welcome back Emma Westwood. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Um, Pre-COVID, post-bushfire, that was me. That one small snippet of time. Yeah, exactly. That little sliver, little sliver of time, little sliver of daylight and then the darkness and all us vampires (laughs) came out again. The world was slightly less effed up. (laughs) Slightly. (laughs) We'll be heading back to a time we're all very fond of around these parts the 1990s, to shine a shaft of sunlight upon a subgenre that was pretty popular that decade for some reason, vampire movies. First, we'll open our coffin and stumble blinking back into 1994 as Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt had an all-star cast in Neil Jordan's adaptation of Anne Rice's Interview with the Vampire. Then we'll score a hit of some plasma on the grungy back streets of New York City with Lily Taylor and Christopher Walken in Abel Ferrara's 1995 revisionist vampire film, The Addiction. And then we'll finally travel across oceans of time to 1992 with Gary Winona, Anthony, and yes, Keanu in Francis Ford Coppola's big budget adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula. I can't believe that nobody picked Dracula Dead and Loving It to focus on for this week, <laughs> to be honest. The words I mean, can't but- believe are interesting. Uh, <laughs> Is it that easy? Is it easy to get streaming? Because there were some, there were some we had some problems with. (laughs) There's a lot. (laughs) Let's just say we couldn't get it um, uh, screaming. Did you like that? We couldn't get it screaming. It's very on theme. (laughs) Maybe we could all start talking like Vincent Price and using puns. Uh oh. (laughs) We couldn't find it screaming. They're tinglier. Also, as you listen to us chatting about these films and my crap Vincent Price um, imitation, please feel free to hit us up on our social media channels and leave a comment. Just search for Primal Screen on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Now it's time for the Primal Screen News Bulletin for the week. Uh, This week we bid goodbye, farewell and amen to British acting great Ian Holm who passed away on Friday at the age of 88. (laughs) Holm emerged from the stage of the the prestigious Royal Shakespeare Company to act in over 60 films and 60 TV credits. Of course, most famous as the android Ash in Ridley Scott's 1979 classic Alien as well as Bilbo Baggins in five of uh, the six films in Peter Jackson's Lord of, uh, Lord of the Rings, Hobbit, Middle-earth series. 
was your favourite in-home appearance? Um, are you asking me, Emma? I'm asking anyone. I'm throwing it out <laughs> to the You're just asking anyone. Okay, well, we're kind of a bit uh, distressed to realise that uh, apparently a whole generation only knows him from the Lord of the Rings. Film. I know! <laughs> because he's just got this incredible incredible career but I'm I'm actually kind of um I really liked him in the uh, fifth element I must say um that was quite an impressive little performance uh Brazil yes he's a priest in there and in Brazil Mm -hmm. as Mr Kurtzman but I also I I I would I guess I'm a little bit being a bit obvious, but what you said, Alien as Ash, I mean that role. I think that's I mean, my favourite performance yeah. of his. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 a killer. So yeah. really, yeah. Um, but but yeah, just what a what an incredible career, incredible life, another long life. So yeah, you know. did good innings. Uh, Man won an Olivier, Tony, BAFTA, won everything except an Oscar and a Golden Globe. The St Kilda and Sydney Film Festivals ended their 2020 online editions over the weekend with St Kilda awarding four prizes, including Best Short Film and Best Director, to Jane Cho for her short film The Egg, about a young girl's quest for a huge Easter egg. Three prizes went to Michael Shanks' Rebooted, about a sad and unemployed stop-motion skeleton finding himself obsolete in the age of green screens. Uh, Best documentary went to uh, Karen Perlman's I Want to Make a Film About Women, about female Russian constructivist artists silenced by Stalin in the 1920s. And Best Achievement in Indigenous Filmmaking went to John Harvey's Father's Son Road Trip Story, Out of Range. Sydney awarded their Best Documentary Feature Prize to Nice Bagai's Descent, which uh, depicts a woman finding salvation in ice freediving after suffering the trauma of a sexual assault Uh, and awarded uh, Best Short Film to Alex Wu's Idol. Uh, The Ruben Mamoulian Award for Best Director to Eliza Scanlon's Mukbang and the Joran Gross Award for Best Animated Short to Sarah Hymer and Rosemary Vasquez-Brown's GNT. Congratulations to all the winners. However, as uh, a lot of you out there may know, Scanlon's win was not without controversy coming under fire for cultural appropriation. And after screening for nine days, a scene of the film's white teen girl protagonist drawing a picture of herself strangling a black teenage boy was swiftly deleted and the film re-uploaded, earning the festival a storm of outrage from cultural commentators for covering up the film's gaffe and awarding it a prize. Scanlon has since apologised for including the scene in the first place. Now, emerge... Emerge from <laughs> your ancient slumber as we hit play on our first film of the night. If I leave you here, you die. Or you can be young always, my friend, as we are now. But you must tell me, will you come or no? Interview with the Vampire from 1994 was the eighth feature film directed by Neil Jordan. Based on Anne Rice's 1976 debut novel, it begins as a young modern-day reporter, played by Christian Slater, interviews a mysterious man named Louis, Brad Pitt, who has quite a wild tale to tell. Louis is a vampire and has been since an aristocratic vampire named Lestat, played by Tom Cruise, put the bite on him over 200 years earlier. 
Louis chronicles their time together as his reticence to drain the blood and life of humans stands in stark contrast to the lusty pleasure Lestat takes in killing. Along the way, they turn a 10-year-old girl, Claudia, played by Kirsten Dunst, into a creature of the night, forming a sort of surrogate and increasingly dysfunctional family as they battle, respectively, suffering, loneliness, perpetual infantilization, as well as a French-based secret society of vampires headed by the enigmatic Armand, played by Antonio Banderas. Sally, 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 Sally. <laughs> Your adoration of this film is well known and finally you have the floor to declare your eternal love for this creature on air. What about this film holds you under its spell? You know what? It's going to be one of these things where it's I, I love this film so much that I find it really difficult to talk about <laughs> films that I love so much. <laughs> I, honestly, I think this is a perfect film. It's so hard to and I guess we'll talk about it with uh, Dracula later on as well um, if we're looking at books to film adaptations to um, get them right and this does such an incredible job of course you know there's differences and um, I mean I think it is because Anne Rice was quite heavily involved um, you know in the script also Neil Jordan was too, but I think that really sort of comes through. And, God, it's just such an incredible epic. I think it was made for something like $70 million that Neil Jordan got for this because it was just after um, his major success with The Crying Game. So it was, I think, probably at that point, maybe the biggest budget vampire movie was, I don't know, was Dracula a bigger budget? Uh, Dracula was about $42 million. Oh, so, Dracula's, yeah, Dracula's a very, very expensive film. Yep. Um, but, but Interview even more so, yeah. Yeah, so $70 million for Interview. So, yeah, it was kind of going to be um, the Gone with the Wind of Vampires, this film. But it's just... <laughs> gone with the Wind of Vampires. Yeah, I know. I didn't, oh, that makes it sound like I'm making a fart joke. I'm not. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you're making a racial statement. We don't talk about Gone with the Wind at the moment. Okay. Well, like, they, both, they both start on plantations. Yeah, they do. They yeah. do, and we we have um, a very lovable plantation owner and slave owner. At, least this, one's, at least this one suffers. Lots. He does. He suffers for eternity. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just I I love this film so much. It's just going back and revisiting it recently, and I think um, I don't know pe- people that know me on social media saw me absolutely lose my shit over this and just be like, oh my god, it's incredible. But you know, it's there's a little story about same sex marriage, raising a child, trying to work in this yeah. film with Louis and Lestat, and um, you know, raising Claudia. There's yeah, it's just it's such an interesting film. And um, oh, I don't I don't know how to articulate my love for this. But <laughs> you are overwhelmed, Sally. I am. I am You're totally Did overwhelmed. Remember um, all the controversy with Tom Cruise when this film came out? Mm, yes, very was, much. So. There was out pre was, like outrage at a world without Twitter. It was quite bizarre. It was. I I really remember this really well. I was in grade six. I remember it because it was the year of Pulp Fiction and the year of Interview with the Vampire. So it was a big it was a big year for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mum had taken me to Melton Cinemas to see Interview with the Vampire, and um, a woman fainted because of the scene where Brad Pitt um drinks blood from a rat. But I remember just the the outrage <laughs> that's a scene, over. That's the scene she fainted from. Yes, yeah, she fainted in that. Yeah. Okay, so- I'll come back to that. 
Well, you keep but, on um, going. <laughs> just the outrage of Tom Cruise playing a villain. People were furious about it. It's really, really um, funny to think back on. Do you remember the Oprah interview with him? And this? Which one? The, the, the late, no, the, not the, the one the where he jumped on the couch. The, yeah. the one that where he was promoting Interview the Vampire. And no, Oprah initially wanted to pull it because she didn't want to promote the film. She walked out on a press screening of it because she was so disgusted by it. Yeah. She said it was too gory. She didn't want him um, promoting the film. And, uh, yeah, she wanted to, I think people booed when he came out to promote it because he was this, at this point, this sex symbol. And to have him in this role where he was evil, people weren't happy about it. I thought it was more about fans of the book wanting Sting or Julian Sands cast. Julian Sands would have been great. And he was considered, wasn't he, Julian Sands? Well, he was Anne Rice's pick. Yeah, but he wasn't well known enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Mm. yeah. But um, I don't know. I think Julian Sands would have made a great list stat. But we we got Cruiser, which I love. I I think think Tom Cruise is perfect in it. I think the coupling of Brad Pitt and um, Tom Cruise is perfect and probably what Brad Pitt represented at that time like he's incredibly pretty I mean watching the the film and I think Brad Pitt is someone who's actually got more handsome in age like he actually has I was thinking that watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood Mm. well yeah I think I actually I didn't necessarily want to see Louis without his shirt on but I was very happy to see (laughs) Brad Pitt take his shirt off in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But there's something about Louis that Louis is just like he was the emo before emo. Oh, he's just the mopey goth. Oh, he's the the plantation owner. He's the top of the tree. Granted, he has a tragedy and, you know, he loses his partner and child and that's tragic. But really, you know, Louis has, I'd like to call this film Everybody Loves Louis. (laughs) Louis can get away with anything in it, yet he is absolutely forlorn. Yeah, and yep. you know, it's like he's—he's just—he doesn't crack a smile the whole film, and that's no doubt on purpose. But he sort of has such a dropped, beautiful lower lip that you could trip over it. He has it, mm. you know, he has it so, so hangdog. But um, what I found that what you were talking about in terms of the violence, Sally, and people's reaction. It might seem strange these days, but I did remember when I saw it at the cinema and in, in, I haven't seen the film for ages and watching it, repeat watching it for this um, for this show, I, I remembered the sense feeling quite queasy when watching it at the cinema yeah. and I, I didn't have quite as strong a response. I can remember the actual sensation thinking, ugh, this is really, because it's not a, it's not, in terms of being a vampire film, it's very oozy in the blood and it's very, you know, there's lots of that dripping blood and deep into the vein and then the, and and it's kind of really sacrificial like that amazing scene where um they drink the woman's blood at a party the two of them together Mm -hmm. and she's kind of almost like the pieta lying between the two of them and it's incredibly beautiful Mm -hmm. but incredibly slow and elegant and the way louis um not louis lestat has that kind of pointed metal thimble that he digs into the the veins it is quite it, I had a I had a mock one of those when I was a teenager. <laughs> of course, of course you, did. you did. I had a, I had a mock one. I think I got it from Morticia's. Yeah. <laughs> 
uh, did you use it in the same no. way? <laughs> it wouldn't have been sharp. <laughs> because, it, well, it played on this sort of eroticism of pleasure and pain. I mean, there's an amazing scene where, you know, he, he just – chomps into the breast of that woman who's mm. like in the throes of ecstasy and then she, it just turns on a dime. I mean, she's freaking sensational in it. I think she should have got an award for that. <laughs> um, and that's, those scenes, are they, they're really quite, quite stomach churning. I think mm. out of all the films, the three that we are talking about to, tonight, that is the the queasiest. Imagine how, how much of a different film this would have been if they – because there was talk about um, having Louis as a female because they were concerned about how homoerotic this film was and that the audience may not take well to that. And oh, I'm so glad that Louis wasn't a female, but imagine, imagine what a different film it would be if we didn't have that homoeroticism that sort of ran through this. And the person they were looking to cast as the female Louis was Cher. Yes. Tom Cruise and Cher yep. in Interview with the Vampire. That's a weird sliding doors moment. I, I think that too. I can't even imagine it. It would have been comp- like. It would have taken away from the dynamic with Claudia as well, which of is course. The Kirst- yeah. Kirsten Dunst's um, young girl who was this. I, I find this, I probably find this and um, Melancholia are my favourite Kirsten Dunst films uh, or her performances, yeah, basically. And she's just so incredibly powerful in this mm. role as a child with these two massive actors, or at least Tom Cruise at the time was, you know, gargantuan. Um, you could only assume it would be intimidating for a, for a child to be in that. But she, in a lot of the scenes, especially when she has to act as an adult as a child, is incredibly convincing. Was this yeah. her first role? Yeah, I believe so. I yeah. think it was too, yeah. yeah. yeah she, she's, all the performances in this film, I think, are pretty outstanding. But if she didn't... If she didn't have um, uh, Louis as a male character oh, to no. play off, I don't think it would have been as great a, a depth to that. No, and there's a kind of um, that, I guess, almost semi-sexual relationship between them as well. That in, was handled incredibly well. I, felt I think in that too. Film. Yeah, yeah, I reckon that as well. Um, yeah. Which, yeah, that dynamic I think is very important, and that would have completely, I guess, been. Because she's a well. child, she's mm. a child woman, so it, it actually played out um, appropriately in the in the narrative, uh, and was really clever. As if, if it wouldn't have happened with Cher. Let's no, say. Um, it's it's Kirsten Dunst's fifth film. She was in New York Stories. Oh she's, my God. of course wow. Tom Hanks's daughter in Bonfire of the Vanities, and High oh, and Greedy oh, as well. Oh, okay. Well, we're and uh, she was wrong. in Little Women the same year. Um, this might be my favorite vampire film ever. It gives me everything I want from a vampire movie. It gives me lush, creepy gothic settings photographed exquisitely, cool-looking vamps with freaky eyes and pallid skin, geysers of blood, dread, the notion of ancient terror infused in every frame, vulgar displays of power, at least one genuinely frightening scene, in this case the the Theater de Vampires. I know, that scene is is very scary, yep. Um, There's also a couple of things like even there's a, Slow pan and uh, uh, slow push in onto Louis as he's looking out the window at the start of the movie when uh, Daniel, uh, Kristen Slater's character, is interviewing him. Mm-hmm. And it's like there's a moment there that's actually quite creepy. There's a, there's some really beautiful moments here. It also has fire, dismemberment, a poignant death by sunlight, 
none of this crucifix and garlic nonsense, the agony and ecstasy of vampirism and a supernova cast to die for. And it's also, am I crazy or is this the queerest studio blockbuster ever made? It is. It is. When I yeah. was watching this, I was like, oof, this is very, very queer. Like I always remember yeah. it being queer, but it's very queer. And, hmm. it, and it's both, it, it's, it's one of the few films that exists as an excellent example of both high camp and blockbuster horror, but I'm not. Yep. But but if we take camp as being the Susan Sontag um, definition as failed mm-hmm. seriousness, I don't think this is that. I think this no. works on that level. I think there's a film coming up later that I might describe, as <laughs> but we'll get there. Uh, but this the addiction. Film- <laughs> <laughs> and you know, but yeah, it just has this dreamy momentum. It never drags. It's always something. It's got this great pacing. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. And you it's know- also got incredible vampire lore. You notice how they kind of throw a whole lot of the the vampire tropes out of the window, but they say, Oh, but we must sleep in coffins. Yes. And then they never actually explain why. And I think why is the sleeping in coffins so important? But they wanted <laughs> yeah. to hold on to it. Yeah. It must have been in Anne Rice's book, I can only assume. But what, well, I guess they do have the fear of sunlight and they don't yeah. want to get in the coffins the safe, safest way to avoid sunlight. Maybe. There's a lot of things you could sleep in to avoid sunlight. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> Look, I mean, but I think this might, this like this is one of Neil Jordan's best films. Um, could have Louis, you know, Louis was a plantation owner. Could he have suffered a little bit more? Like he does suffer through the whole thing, but he is a super powerful immortal being. So oh, he's know. still such a massive sook though. He is a massive Ugh. sook. But cruising <laughs> this is so much fun. I, yeah, I just right. love his whole, he's completely believable in this role. I just, yeah, I think, I think a lot of, I don't think this film is looked at enough as being, it's real peak of their powers stuff for a lot of people involved. I mean, mm. not only the filmmakers, but Dante Ferretti's production design, Elliot Goldenfall's score. Um, it, it's just, it's really operating at a high level through the whole thing. Um, and is, and as you say, can pick apart with with, uh, with many layers. Um, yeah, I, it, it really surprised me revisiting this after seeing it at the cinema 25 years ago, how, how great it's actually remained. Mm, mm. Yeah, it's perfect. It's a perfect movie. I agree. I agree with you. I think it's a. I think it's a perfect popcorn fodder, a vampire film. It works on. It's. It's got a. It's. It it works on a a commercial enough level, but still satisfies Mm -hmm. desire for underground vampire goodness. It does. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going out on that. Interview with the Vampire is available to rent or buy via YouTube, iTunes, or Google Play. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Triple R on FM, digital, online, and via the app. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Sally Christie, Flick, uh, not Flick Ford, Emma Ford. No. I'll Sally call Christie. me Flick Ford and then I'll just say really bad things and Flick will have to wear it all. Uh, Flick is actually doing a Q&A with uh, Kitty Green on the assistant right now, I believe. Uh, so, you know, if you're nearby the Elstonwick Classic Cinema, uh, run on down. Sell out, I think, but maybe you might get a standby seat. Um, so you're here with Sally Christie, Emma Westwood, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. Now pour yourself a glass of blood and join us in the crypt for our second film of the evening. What do you want from me? Now, what do you want from me? 
You came after me, you took my hand, you tried to force me into some alley. Isn't that how it went? You think you understand things, you know nothing. You understand nothing. I'll show you what you are. Teach you what hunger is. The Addiction from 1995 was the 10th feature film directed by Abel Ferrara. Kathleen Conklin, played by Lily Taylor, is a philosophy graduate student whose chance encounter with a mysterious woman, played by Annabella Sciorra, sees her bitten and turned into a vampire. After the attack, she begins to develop an addiction for human blood, which, given this is an Abel Ferrara picture, seems to look a lot like heroin addiction. (laughs) Emma, did you get high on the addiction supply or was it just a bad trip? I love the addiction. I think this is a, a superb film that uh, uh, holds you riveted until the final moments and what final moments this film has. It's In some ways it reminds me of Brian Yusner's, uh Society at the end with this kind of... Uh, craziness let's just say I won't it's an old film but I won't wreck it for anyone in case someone does feel like revisiting it or visiting it for the first time there's a uh, gathering there's a gathering there's Mm. a gathering of Mm. sorts and and stuff (laughs) happens at that gathering um Lily Taylor amazing I think Lily Taylor is one of the most underrated act actors she's just beautiful as well like yeah she comes up I really think so she's incredible in this she she really and it's a it's a film that she has to carry despite the fact yep. that she has some amazing names around her, mm. um, inclu- well Christopher Walken will get usually main billing for this film in some ways, but for about eight minutes or he's something. in a very yeah. small scene, but he's a, a very influential character in it and and he's in top flight Walken mode in it. I think he's sort of, part of partly doing the walking that everyone um, impersonates. So <laughs> it's quite uh, it's quite an iconic role. But also I love the way this is, this film plays out. Like we, I was talking about the queasiness in um, in uh, Interview with the Vampire and it's not like that in this film. It's This film's uh, seedy. It's seedy and grimy and grotty uh, and it's in black and white and the black and white, like black and white can be absolutely beautiful, in, but this is not a beautiful black and white. This is heroin black and white. <laughs> and uh, it was right at the peak of, uh, I think, Abel Ferrara's um, heroin era, shall we say. Uh, and it, it just has a feeling of and, and it, of back alleys in New York and it constantly, it actually does have back alleys in New York, but even in the interior scenes, um, I think that the use of black and white is interesting because the blood is obviously not red, but I, I'd, be, I'd be interested to know what colour the blood actually was because it it looks just black to me, whatever they, mm. they use to get that depth of colour into it. So it, it's quite an effective visual image of blood because it looks really arterial, like Mm. really thick, really heavy. Um, It's also interesting to see a film like this after so long for a number of of reasons, but also to see, you know, Edie Falco and Michael Mm. Imperioli at the the pre-Sopranos time. Um, Sopranos actors are all over his films. Yeah, they are. So many. Yeah. And but to see Michael Imperioli as a, like an evangelist, yeah. <laughs> like, well, Mike, I didn't know this. Michael Imperioli and Lily Taylor were going out at the time. 
Oh, oh okay. They were dating, so that's quite possibly how he ended up in yep. the movie. That's a good little piece of trivia. Mm. But I think that it's funny as well, uh, well not funny, ha-ha, funny, interesting, <laughs> in the way that um, that uh, he plays on uh, philosophy and, you know, this idea of guilt and the guilt that we all carry through complacency, how the, ba- the vampires just want, they want their victim to, to fight against them and when they mm. don't, they're kind of like, well, you deserve this anyway. It's a little heavy-handed. I mean, in the way that Ferrara is, he sort of gets caught up in his own brain. He's no doubt gone into, you know, some sort of drug trip and decided <laughs> he's hit on something incredibly profound. Um, but it still works beautifully in this film. It does, you know, sort of bubble along as a, a, a very consistent theme uh, in terms of the messaging. Um, but just in ter- like what we were talking about with Lily Taylor, there's... <laughs> a freak out scene that she has in this film that I think is almost maybe not quite akin to Isabella Gianni in possession, but it's pretty damn close. Like you it's reckon? totally unbridled. Yeah. It's great. It's, cool. it's, it's great. But the, huh. the, the, Lily, the, the, Possession one is next level. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Well, that's yeah. Maybe <laughs> maybe I got involved. carried away. Yeah. Um, was there fluids involved in this one? I can't remember. No, no, no it's just, oh, it just feels boxes. like there's fluids involved through the whole freaking. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a it's a great little vampire film. I think, especially with the low budget. You know, it was done by um, Russell Simmons. Who I was watching the mm. Beastie Boys documentary, and which talked about. Russell Simmons and um, Rick Rubin from Def Jam, how Russell Simmons wanted to go into movies. Mm. So that's why I think The Addiction is one of the lesser known films that he went into. I mean, he did the Nutty Professor remake and all that sort of stuff as well. But um, probably why were Cypress Hill on Def Jam label? There's a lot of Cypress Hill in this Yeah, there's a hell of a lot of Cypress Hill in this. Mm. So you can kind of get the Def Jam vibe through it. I think that's very much Mm. part of the the vein of this film, shall we? Hey, there it is. (laughs) (laughs) I really uh, really love um, a New York film, so therefore I love an Abel Ferrara film. (laughs) Um, (laughs) This, re-watching this, it was interesting to, I, I think that it, it's really very, very similar to um, Miss 45 in, I guess, the way everything sort of plays out in this, which is an earlier film of his, um, particularly that the climax bit at the end reminded me a lot of the climax sequence in Miss 45. I won't give either of those away, but, yeah, <laughs> it found it felt to me that the story sort of unraveled in a, in a similar kind of way. But, um. Yeah, he has obviously a lot of his work is set in New York, but with, um, you know, we've got him looking at, you know, bad cops in Bad Lieutenant. Um, you know, he really looks at the, I guess, the scum of New York City where we're looking at, you know, he's got his rape revenge film with Ms. 45, this with addiction, being, you know, drug addicts and that kind of really um, sleazy New York that doesn't exist anymore that he explores so beautifully in such different ways and obviously you know in his first film Driller Killer as well uh and it's hard to take such a you know a well-known story like a vampire story or if you're looking at you know zombie genre or anything like that and do something that feels fresh with it 
and the mm. addiction really does that mm. um, in a really captivating way. We talked a little bit, well, not a little bit, a lot about um, um, Near Dark, the name escaped me first. <laughs> A couple last month or so, and looking at that with, I guess, classism in vampire films, where we were sort of saying that's the Western, they're sort of lower class, where we normally see vampires as these aristocratic creatures. And Ferrara does that here in a really, you know, another different manner again, which I think is, yeah, really captivating. Um, yeah, it is. It's a nice, it's a different exploration of vampire. And this one did make me feel queasier than Interview the Vampire. Oh, wow. Yeah. We have different um, it's that, queasy that, that triggers. One in, that one injecting scene. Oh, yeah, the injecting scene. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's just that the one. one, though. That's just it's, the it's one. It's interesting because normally I'm, I'm okay with that, and especially mm. with black and white, it normally makes it even more comfortable to watch things like that. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I, a little yeah. queasy. <laughs> well, on the uh, palette side. Yeah. I love black and white. I love New York, and particularly dirty old New York on film. Yep. So, yeah, and I love April Ferrara. So this is right up my alley. Um, I love that there's, it, it, as you said, Sel, this this definitely has been a genre Ferrarized. You know, yep. he's totally seeing it through his lens. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this kind of darkly gorgeous, low-key, very kind of able riff on, yeah, so, sort of, but it, it does sort of have these twin tracks. Like it's about heroin addiction, but it's also about this sort of philosophical Nature of evil tracks, and sin. Tracks, get it. <laughs> yeah, tracks, tracks. <laughs> nice. Sorry, it's just you. You said you were going to bring out the puns and everything tonight. Did I? <laughs> you did at the did, start did of I the show. Did I say that, or did you want me to say that? <laughs> um, oh dear. <laughs> this is this was pulled off with a really small crew on location with one of Ferrara's smallest budgets, and it looks amazing. What was the budget for it? Do you know? It was it was tiny. I believe it was somewhere in like the one or two hundred thousand. Uh, I'm I'm looking. Yeah, wow. Let me let me see if I can look up budget. Yeah, because I'll I was come looking, back to you. Yeah, because I was looking around for budgets. I couldn't find an exact figure, but I thought I heard him quote it in an interview on the Blu-ray. There's a great Arrow Blu-ray of this. Um, but yeah, and the, the cast is kind of incredible. I love Christopher Walken's kind of asshole functioning addict. He's that classic guy that's like, I'm going to show you control, but in the end he's just using her as a tat, essentially. Yeah. Um, I I love seeing Annabella Sciorra do something cool, and she's really great in this. Um, Bukashidi Falco is interesting. Lily Taylor gradually transforming into Lou Reed. Um, <laughs> I really, yeah, I, I, I could do with about 50% less philosophy talk. Um, it's really it's a, it's a bit heavy, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Mind it. I think I think it worked well with it. I, I felt like it flowed nicely. It didn't seem wanky to me. Like yeah, oh, see, at times it, it did to me. It was <laughs> it like was it's a little much. And plus, you know, some of it kind of went over my head, and some of it I kind of it was very. And I, I I kind of agree with what you said, Emma. I think Ferrara does get a little into his own head with this. Yeah, he does. And it's a, and it's a film that eighty two minutes. Like the look and the feel of the cast and the and the runtime is just like. I, I really, really like this film, and I've seen it a number of times now, but I always stop just shy of loving it, and I think mm-hmm. that's the reason. I think it's just a little too overburdened with with ideas. With art school wank. 
Yes. Yeah. Probably the hardest part of this film is the stock footage that is used throughout mm. it with the war crimes, and it yes. is incredibly graphic. That's like they, they seem to grainy it up and, you know, uh, and make the, the image harder to make out, but still there are some very explicit war uh, there scenes. are some really, it's used yep. in, he uses it though in such a great way where uh, there's some beautiful scenes with um, her standing in front of it and it's just her complete background and it's really breathtaking. Yeah, that stuff's mm. great. Mm-hmm. It's a really, really chilling effect. Yep. The Addiction is now screening on Amazon Prime Video and is available to rent or buy on YouTube and Google Play. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Triple R. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Emma Westwood, Sally Christie, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. Bram Stoker's Dracula from 1992 was the 20th feature film directed by Francis Ford Coppola. When the ancient vampire Count Dracula, played by Gary Oldman, leaves his Transylvanian castle and the captive Jonathan Harker, Keanu Reeves, for London in search of Mina Harker, Winona Ryder, who is the incarnation of Dracula's long-dead wife, Elisabetta. Obsessed vampire hunter Dr. Abraham Van Helsing, Anthony Hopkins, sets out to destroy the monster once and for all. Sally, did Coppola's operatic take on this most famous of vampires thrill you all over again, or did ha- or did it have you praying for the sweet release of a stake through the heart? <laughs> Everything in this movie is really turned up to 11, isn't it? <laughs> It's fantastic. I think they told Spinal Tap. Yes. I I don't think, I think we've not seen levels like this on dial since Michael Bay turned up. I know. Oh, hang on. Don't compare it to Michael Bay. Really? You would compare it to a Michael Bay film? in, In terms of everything being turned up to extremes, Yes, it's like because I remember maybe this film that's was, the only thing though. Oh yeah, not in cutting or in you know content, but just in terms of volume. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's it's really like everything is really amped up. Uh, it's fun though; like it's so much fun to watch this film. Um, it's just everything is just like so. Ah, I hadn't watched it in a really really long time, but it was again i think this is a really good adaptation i think this is the kind of over the topness of this the of dracula that you know lots of us want to see i one thing about this movie that i think is particularly mesmerizing is the costume design in it by um eco i shioka i think i'm probably saying that wrong eco ishioka who um i really redesigned dracula i think Gary Oldman's Dracula, we haven't really seen a Dracula dressed this way or without a cape before. And um or with massive hair buns before. With hair buns or <laughs> quite nineties looking glasses. Uh, <laughs> yes. But and God, that suit of armor, that muscle suit of armor, which is just one Capella of the most has surprising that, I think, things. At his winery on display, I think. Who oh. does? Capella, yep. Yeah. He has really? that um yeah, on, on display. He's still at Valley. Oh, yep. It's just stunning. But the costume design in this movie is what makes it for me. It is absolutely breathtaking. Lucy's bridal outfit, oh, my God, is 
I just the love huge it. gecko neck. Oh, I love it. I love everything about it. I love how over the top <laughs> it all is. Um, especially her in her glass coffin. It's just yeah, it, these images from this um from this version of Dracula, I feel a really once you've seen it, you're always gonna remember this, what it looks mm. like. It's really iconic. People kind of pay out on Keanu for being in this film for his <laughs> I think he's fine. Jonathan's he's terrible. A, Jonathan's a sap anyway. For me, the miscasting in this film is Winona Ryder. I think. I think she. I think that there was. A, a it was actually shit. her. Um, partly her project, if I if I remember correctly. Oh, really? I think she was part of the. Yeah, she took it to Coppola. So there was no getting away from Winona. But I think that <laughs> you're. You, I think that you're right, Sally. Both Winona though and Keanu, uh, for some reason. Uh, were the appropriately bland central couple. And also and- it's like they're so – I know that Winona has also has, uh, done, you know, Age of Innocence and other period work, but they – I don't know – they're so 90s I get get what you mean I remember seeing Cameron Diaz in um Gangs of what was it Gangs of New York yes Yes. and felt the same way she just felt way too modern and I think at that time in 1992 well Winona was coming out of the reality bites and Heather's stage of her career so she was feeling incredibly contemporary as was Keanu Reeves who was Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and then he gets to play Jonathan Harker. Dude. Dracula yeah. dude at the Circle <laughs> K. But <laughs> but the, the Gary Oldman, I mean, I don't think I've seen anyone chew the scenery quite like Gary Oldman in this film. Oh, it matched I beg to differ. Ma- match beautifully. There, there's there's somebody who has a knife and fork and bib in hand Anthony just Hopkins. across the screen. Yeah. Anthony, yeah. Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins steals this film for me. He really oh, I does. think he's terrible. I, I think he's it. terrible. Anthony <laughs> Hopkins comes in. Fantastic in it. I, love, I hate I, everything about his Van Helsing. <laughs> like this guy's just, his wife just died and he's like assaults him and says, she is the whore of Babylon. She is the devil's got to wine. It's like he's a really maniac. funny. <laughs> he's the comic relief for me in this film. I love him. He's my favourite. One of my, he's my favourite performance. Did you notice the great moment where he kind of, um, I forget which character it was, but he smells them and his eyes sort of roll back in his head and you realise that he's forgotten that he's not on the set of Silence of the Lambs and he's just playing (laughs) Hannibal Lecter. (laughs) But this film, look, what we've got to really acknowledge about this film, though, no CGI, no CGI at all. This is all shadow play and puppetry and miniatures and painted backgrounds and um, it was actually Roman Coppola um, Mm. who did... Uh, Francis Ford's son, who did the um, the effects, and they're just absolutely stunning. Yeah, they not, are. Not to mention one of the, actually one of the favourite opening cinemas of scenes for me in cinema, which is that little prologue. I just love it as this little tiny sort of um, you know setup story, contextual story. Um, that it's is, not in the book. And that's it's, not and in it's the book. Not a no. Dracula story at all. It's the Vlad the Impaler story but that they're sort of connecting. Yeah, it's really, really lovely, and it's beautifully photographed, and it's amped up to it's. It sets the tone so perfectly for this film, and it has that incredible, incredible score by Wojciech Killer. I think the score is. Um, 
Look, I agree with you, Sally. The costumes are amazing, but this is actually a film that blends so beautifully so many elements, like those visual aspects, some crazy performances, and that score I think is just yeah, it perfect, is great. perfect for it. I, yeah. I do love the score. I, it's interesting that you're all talking about images and elements because this is what I think this film is. Like I think, I think this film plays better in stills and mm-hmm. in scene clips than it does mm-hmm. actually watching the entire thing. I think watching the because you're absolutely right, the, the costume design is phenomenal, the set design is phenomenal, the, the uh, effects are ridiculous. Um, they're so well done. But altogether, it, it's actually everything's turned up so loudly and, like, everything's so in your face. You never really grasp the reality <laughs> of it. And it's like none of this feels like it's, it all feels like pantomime. Like even when like you're looking at Dr. Seward's um, uh, 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 Asylum, which has my favourite performance in the film, by the way, which is Tom Waits. Tom Tom Waits as Renfield steals this movie for me. And a fantastic costume. How about their kind of box head? Yeah, they're um, great. uh, And that crazy long-armed caterpillar suit he has. Yeah, But everybody feels like they're in a pantomime and it just, I can never get into the horror of it. And so I think this film is a physical marvel. But, I mean, and the cheek to call yourself Bram Stoker's Dracula and then, like, plunge in all this stuff that's not in the book or, and, and, and sort of Coppola taking the film and going, I think the most interesting thing about this film is it's a romantic drama. Like, no. <laughs> it just gets, and particularly with the casting of Winona and Keanu, like, it just, it gets super bland in the middle. And I actually start to get bored by it. And it's like a film this beautiful, a film this ravishing and all of this stuff and this incredible score should not be tedious. And it's like, why does that happen? And I, I feel like it's, a, yeah, it's this film that's constantly at war with itself. Uh, it's, and in the end, it, it's like I because I, I see scenes and hear things and it's like I want to even listen to that clip I just played. And it's like, oh, yeah, I like to watch that movie. But then I just sat through that movie three nights ago and was like bored. See, I'm not I'm not bored. It's a film that I have watched so many times and just watching it again, I saw it with fresh older eyes and saw a whole lot of elements that I, I couldn't remember seeing in it beforehand. Mm-hmm. Including Monica Bellucci. She plays yes. one of the yeah. the, 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 the vampy yeah. brides. But um no, I think this film's got enough going in it that um Enough visual aspects. I, I'm a bit of an aesthete, so I can be. Oh my! I'm, I'm I can a sucker be, for that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I can be held by, and it's just got a core good story anyway. It's just there, so I can be held by the aesthetic qualities mm-hmm. of it. It is yep. an aesthetic delight, no doubt. It really is. Bra- Bram Stoker's Dracula is available to rent or buy via YouTube, iTunes, or Google Play. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Triple R. You've been listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Sally Christie, Emma Westwood, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. On tonight's Spotlight on 90s Vampire Films, we discussed Interview with the Vampire, now available to rent or buy via YouTube, iTunes, and Google Play. The Addiction, now streaming on Amazon Prime and available to rent or buy via YouTube and Google Play. And Bram Stoker's Dracula, now available to rent or buy on YouTube, iTunes and Google Play. You can also subscribe to the Primal Screen podcast via iTunes or wherever else you find your favourite podcast. Next week, we'll be doing a spotlight on queer cinema to celebrate Pride Month. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. 
Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website.